Good morning. Welcome to Southside today. Uh, I'm kind of feeling like we probably need to start a countdown clock. How many Sundays do we have left in this building until it is April 1st and our first time over in the new facilities on Main Street? So all kinds of things are going on over there. It's exciting. The demolition's all finished. The studs are up. Drywall is in. The elevator's ordered. The shaft is all ready to go. So it's just kind of fun to wander in there once or twice a week or every day and see what they're doing and how we're getting along. So leaving this place, and Aaron's going to talk to us a bit more today about that wall and that wall, um, some of you probably love like a mystery. So here's a mystery. Um, way back, I don't know how long ago, the youth group at Southside Community Church hid a time capsule. All right? Dave Strutt is unable to sleep. He is distracted about this. He is determined to find that time capsule. So if you see him and Gord Burns, now they've all gone looking for the sun, I think, now, but if you see them going around with one of Gord's sticks, tapping on the ceiling, tapping on the walls, it's because they're looking for this time capsule. And the latest news we had was that it's in the youth auditorium. And so they were in there last week, tapping, tapping. And I said, like, they're going to tear this place down. Just get a sawzall and start cutting holes everywhere in the walls and ceiling. This week, I get a voice message from somebody I don't know. You probably would know him, some of you, but he said, I was talking to somebody who knows people at Southside, right? Like, so this is second, third hand. They said, I hear you're looking for the time capsule. And I didn't get the call, he just got this voice message, right? He said, it's in the auditorium. He said, it's up near the stage. So I don't know, but if you come here next week and there are two foot square holes in the walls <laughs> and the ceiling, it's because we're still looking for that time capsule. If you know where it is, uh, there's a hundred dollar reward for the <laughs> location of that time capsule. Dave Strutt is going to pay the reward so he can sleep at night. Good stuff. Well, welcome to you for this morning. We're looking forward to a time of singing, of praying, and of coming to God's word together. So why don't we begin by singing, Aaron? Good morning, everyone. Please stand to your feet as we uh, prepare our hearts this morning. I just want to uh, read a passage I read a few weeks ago, too, when we first started this uh, new song that we're learning called Yes and Amen. And it's become kind of a theme verse for me in the last few weeks. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. <clears throat> and it says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So with that in mind, let's just go to prayer together. Lord Jesus, it is our desire to lift up our voices to your glory and we thank you that all of the promises that you gave have been fulfilled in Christ. And because of that, we can collectively say amen. Because we know that what you want to have happen will happen. And in Christ has happened. <clears throat> so we thank you, Lord so much for your presence among us as a people of believers and this morning as we raise our voices and raise our hands to you in worship lord may your spirit be in and through us 
And uh, may these, the words of our mouths this morning be pleasing to your ears. And um, as we sing these words of these songs, Lord, may it mean something special to us. And, and may you use the words of these songs to reveal just that little bit more of yourself to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe in the sun. Let's sing together. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome by the power, by the I heard mercy call my name He rolled the stone
testify this morning to God's faithfulness. If you've experienced that faithful love, His faithfulness to you, I just want you to put one hand in the air as we sing this together. Let's speak of His faithfulness. Faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen. Thank you. May be seated. Let's join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you forever. Amen. Let's continue in prayer. As we continue in your presence, Father, we are so thankful that you know each of us by name and have called us to walk with you, upheld by your grace, your mercy, and great love. We humbly ask, Lord, for your healing hand to be upon those of us who are struggling with health concerns. We think of Wendy McMillan and Shiv. Please fill them with your strength and your healing power. We ask that you grant them peace, knowing you are with them through all of their difficulties. We lift up Anne Lovering's niece, whose father-in-law went to be with you, Father, on Friday evening. We pray that those who are grieving will experience your comfort, Lord, through the support, encouragement, love, and prayers from others. May your blessing be on those in our larger community who spend their days serving and protecting us, that they will be kept safe from harm. We humbly ask, Father, for your forgiveness in the name of Jesus, for our sins against you and others. May relationship challenges be resolved, that we may be at peace with our brothers and sisters and in right relationship with you. We ask, Lord, for your guidance for the board of this church as it seeks to do your will during our transition to Main Street. We pray that we would all be filled with your spirit so we may be in your will as the work of being your presence at 200 Main Street moves forward. 
We pray your protection for those around the world who live with the daily reality of persecution, because you, Lord, are a refuge for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. We are thankful, Lord, for the children in our midst and the teachers who so faithfully serve our next generation. We ask that you give them wisdom as they teach your word and that the children will listen with open, receptive hearts to learn more about you. We are thankful, Lord, for your generosity and goodness to us and pray that, returning a portion of what you have given us, you will bless it, multiply it, and use it for your glory in Milton and beyond. Lord, as we surrender ourselves to you in worship, we ask that your Holy Spirit would inspire our hearts today. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I would ask that the ushers come forward and the kids may join Miss Debbie at the back door. We're going to invite you to sing this chorus with us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Let's sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
death could not hold you, and death could not hold you. The veil tore before you, silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you my King. What a powerful name it is, and nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. sing that first chorus together what a beautiful name it is what a beautiful name it is what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus Christ my King what a beautiful name it is and nothing compares to this what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Let me give you just a quick little assignment at your table. Um, Here's how it starts. Find the person at your table who has the nearest thing to red on him or her. Okay, and when that person is found, uh, let me have that person kind of wave at me. All right. If I have any tables that has no red, somebody will just have to imagine they have red socks or something. So where are all the red people at the tables? Believe me, you have the easy job, really, so don't worry. All right, here it is. What I'd like you to do is to look around the walls and to choose one of the shapes and ask your table to tell you what that shape's about. All they have to do is answer it like this. It's about how to, and then complete the sentence, right? So a red person, you ask the question, what is that shape about? Tell them what the, you have to understand what the shapes are, first of all, okay? So don't go there or you'll get confused, right? Pick one of the shapes and ask your table, what is that shape about? And they're going to answer with the sentence, it's about how to, and finish that off, okay? Two minutes, go for it.
Sounds like you've got it all figured out. Who, who chose the octagon, by the way? Anybody choose the octagon? Who, who chose the circle? Okay, if I go through all of these and I get no hands up, then I'm going to worry. Who chose the triangle? All right, good. Who chose the square? Good stuff. All right, so I know you were looking up at the wall. <clears throat> I know you were asking the question, what is that about? What are the life shapes about? So for me, um, re remember the book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? Or the whole assortment of books that start with that, Everything I Needed to, blah, blah, blah. For me, honestly, everything I know about following Jesus, I can put on a napkin as a geometric shape. So these shapes around the wall represent everything I know about Jesus, everything I know about following Jesus. And over the many decades of trying to be a good pastor, when I come to talking with people about their lives, about their relationships, about their Christianity, about their problems, I very often revert to these shapes because embedded in these shapes are biblical ideas, are spiritual practices um, that help us talk about how it is you follow Jesus when and put anything after the when. So they are napkin talks. Um, you can put these shapes on a napkin. You can draw all kinds of arrows and words around them but they give us ways to talk about how to follow Jesus. They're, they're kind of like icons on your computer screen that when you tap the icon, in behind that icon are all kinds of biblical ideas and thoughts that are just helpful. They're a way to talk about following Jesus and about following Jesus together. So we're doing a quick run through the shapes one more time uh, as we get ready to sort of pivot our ministry over to 200 Main Street. Um, because there we've got a whole assortment of tables as well as here that we can put napkins on and all week long we can sit and draw shapes on the napkins to our heart's content or we can wonder as we put a shape on the napkin what in the world that really did mean. So we're, we're making our way through the shapes and I don't think we'll get to the last two because they're a little bit complicated and they're more about systems than our personal lives and relationships but we are going to make our way from the circle through to the hexagon, um, all of those being parts of our individual journeys with Christ, our practices together as followers of Jesus, um, and hopefully there are ways to have conversation, to have disciplines that help us say, all I really need to do in terms of following Jesus is to follow the lessons, the teachings, the disciplines of the shapes. So we began a couple of weeks ago with the circle. And the circle is kind of the beginning of the whole story for us. And you'll remember that the circle is how that life is not just a set of events on a chronology, but life is actually about the moments, the events, the seasons in our lives where everything changes. And we saw that Jesus started his ministry by exactly stating that. He said, I'm here now. Everything's changed. Nothing is going to be the same. So we heard him say that to fishermen. He said, the kingdom of God is nearby. I'm here. Quit fishing. I'm going to give you a whole new set of values, a whole new set of commitments in your life. And for you guys, you're going to actually stop fishing. He's not going to tell all the fishermen in the world to stop fishing. But he told them to stop fishing because he was here and everything was going to change. So that is talking about the kairos moments, the kairos seasons of our lives. Chronos is the Greek word for just time, time. 
passing by. Kairos is for those special times. Jesus said the Kairos is here. I'm here. Everything's different. So he's going to teach them to do what he calls repenting and then believing. And this practice for us is understanding that the kingdom of God is rushing in. The kingdom of God is so near us, we could almost reach out and touch it. So we have to think differently than we used to think. And we have to behave differently than we used to behave. And Jesus was just a marvel at this, where he gave these sermons, this massive sermon on the mount, where he had all these people all gathered on the, on the hillside, and he said, you've heard it said. And then everybody's listening really carefully. He says, but you have to repent of that. I'm going to tell you, not necessarily that that was all wrong, but it wasn't enough. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. And everybody's saying, yeah, that's right, we're good, we don't murder, most of us. And then Jesus said, but I got to tell you, if you hate somebody, you're just as good as a murderer. So unlearn the idea that as long as you don't actually physically murder somebody, you're good. Jesus said, if you want to be truly good, you have to love people. You have to not hate people. You have to not call your brother an idiot. That's what you need to learn now. Repent and believe. Now, I'm going to talk today about the triangle, and I'm going to propose to you that the triangle is going to help us practice both the circle and the semicircle. So we'll move to the semicircle, which we came to last week, which is the beautiful teaching of John chapter 15 about the fruit in the vine about the fact that Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches, and your job is to bear fruit. The Father wants you to be bearing fruit. I'm going to be working with you to be the life of the fruit of your life, and the Father is going to work with you to make sure that you produce as much fruit as you possibly can. But it depends on your understanding the swing of the pendulum. And the swing of the pendulum begins with what Jesus calls abiding or resting, or we said having Sabbath, about having retreat, about having that place that we go back to in our lives where we restore our souls so that we can live out of that into the swing of bearing fruit, the swing of being productive for the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to talk today about the triangle at this point, Um, how it is that the triangle can help us abide well how the triangle can help us prepare well for the swing of the pendulum into fruit bearing, into working, into serving God as well as we can. So we had the circle, we had the semicircle, and we get today to the triangle. So far, easy geometric shapes, geometric shapes to recognize, not say, obviously, but to recognize. So what's the triangle all about? Well, the triangle is simply all about three directions in our lives, that we would call the up, the in, and the out. Um, We call it deepening relationships, and so implied there is that on the up of our lives, we will be developing our relationships and deepening them. On the in of our lives, we will be developing and strengthening relationships, and also on the out of our lives. What is the up of my life? What is the in of my life? And what is the out of my life? And this is a great tool, a great shape to just take stock. Um, There may be times, and as we understand this a little bit better, there may be times where we say, boy, the angle that I'm working on most diligently right now is the up. I feel like in my life, I'm balanced all right on the in and the out, but I think the up really needs to be strengthened. And it's kind of like what I talked to you about at the beginning of all of this, the truing of a bicycle wheel. 
Um, it, it's as though there are three things that need constant attention. The up of my life, the in of my life, and the out of my life. And I kind of need to bring my tools to each of those points and say, is this doing all right? Or does it need to be tightened? Does it need to be loosened? Does, does it need to be oiled? What needs to happen in the up, the in, and the out of my life for me to feel balanced? I ought to be growing in the up, the in, and the out of my life. I ought to be able to say, boy, in 2018, I want the up of my life to grow like this. So a year from now, I hope the up will be different in these ways in my life. Or the out of my life, I want by the time 2018 ends up and I move into 2019, I want there to be better evidence of fruit of God working in my life on the out angle. So the triangle is the constant assessment tool um, of how we're doing in terms of deepening the relationships, deepening the impact of our lives. So what are those things all about? Well, when we come to the life of Jesus, um, we find that he perfectly exemplified living a balanced life on the up, the in, and the out. So the up is about my relationship with God. The in is about my relationship with my friends, with my family, with my community, with my established relationships. The out is about my relationship with the world around me, with the people that I don't know yet, or the people who are not right close to me, um, but for whom I have a concern or a task or a responsibility. So how did Jesus do that? We just are told in the narrative, in really clear terms, what he did and we can go, oh my goodness, that's the up of Jesus' life. That's the end of Jesus' life. That's the out of Jesus' life. And I, I encourage you, just go through and read the Gospels. And these will jump out at you. Because many, many times we come across something like this in Luke 6. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. That very idea, that very habit, that very practice recurs so many times in the gospel records. Jesus himself said, you know, everything that I do, I don't do of myself. I don't do of my own initiative or even of my own power. I do it because the Father has told me to do it. I do it in the strength of the Father. It's his work that I do, and he is doing his work in me. So my up and your up, our up, is our relationship on the vertical plane with God our Father, where we are deepening our relationships with him and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. And so I should be concerned to know how it is my life is sharpening on the up or how my life is growing on the up, how our lives are growing on the up. How are we growing as a worshiping community? What does that look like and how do we practice that out and how will it be as we move forward? Second way that Jesus exemplifies all of this in his life is in Mark chapter 3, there's just a sort of a, a, a small little reference, almost a, an editorial comment, um, that says he appointed 12 that they might, they might be with him, and then it goes on and says that he might uh, send them forward to, to do all the things that he has in mind for them. But just that little prepositional phrase that he chose 12 for what reason? To be with him. And that was the end of Jesus' life. Jesus had a very distinct community around him. In fact, as we read the story, um, his community was sort of a few concentric circles. He had his very best friend, John, 
And John loves to talk about that, that he, he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. And I think every time he says that, he kind of nudges the other disciples, right? Um, that's me. I'm the one Jesus loved. And then around him, there was James and John and Peter and Andrew. There were these people that were kind of his close circle, but not, not his intimate friend, but his, his close circle. And then around them, there were the 12. Around the 12, um, there were 70 at one point that were introduced to who are kind of his posse. And then beyond that, by the time we get to the story in Acts, there are like 120 people who would say they are really Jesus' community. But he worked from the inside out, from the intimacy with his relationship to John, to the small group, to the larger group, and he developed his community with, with precise care. So if you were ever to have the opportunity to sort of do an inventory with Jesus about his inn, he, he, he wouldn't have a hesitation to say that here's what he was doing. He could talk about each one of them and what his agenda was with them. The one we hear about most is Simon, Peter, right? And we're given a forensic description of Jesus' relationship with Peter on the inn corner of Jesus' life. First time Jesus met Simon, he looked at him and he said, hmm, first thing we're going to do is change your name. And the name that he gave Simon was a name that was not at all true of Simon in terms of his character. He said, you are going to be called the rock. And people around the corner would have said, did, did he just say the rock? He doesn't know Simon very well, does he? Because Simon wobbled all over the world. He didn't know for sure what he thought. He was pretty loud about what he thought, but then he was sorry about what he thought and promised things that he couldn't, couldn't keep, his, all this stuff. And finally, Jesus declares that he's kind of done with Simon when he's had a big confrontation with Simon over breakfast. And then he says to Simon, okay, we're done. Go do it. Day of Pentecost, totally different Simon shows up and preaches a sermon that was powerful to the point that thousands of people were astounded by what he said and said, what do we have to do? So with each one of them, Jesus has his agenda. He's trying to develop his end. He's trying to build the character of these people who are close to him. Who are the people that are close to you? Who are your in? It has to be your, your, your spouse, maybe your family, your really good friends. Maybe it's Southside. This is your in. This is your community. And so what are our responsibilities with one another as we develop our in? Again, as we track with Jesus and see how he lived his life and wonder about the out, uh, we find that not only did he often and deliberately spend time with the Father, but he spent time caring about the world that was around him. And so the story of that is told us in Luke chapter 6, where often this little phrase shows up, moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand. There's a leper who came to Jesus and he called out to Jesus and he said, if you were willing, you could make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and said, I am willing, be cleansed. One time Jesus looked over Jerusalem and in, in a brokenhearted state, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings like a hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't. And he was heartbroken spirit sick over the condition of Jerusalem and his own people. So Jesus, time and time again, shows that his life is perfectly trued on those three angles. His relationship with God, 
his relationship with his friends, his neighbors, his community, and his relationship with the world into which he was sent with the mission of God. If we were to just sort of pause and consider our own lives, I wonder how well we could characterize our lives on the up, in, and out. You know, who and where um, is my, my up all about? What, what's my practice of my relationship with God, my, my following Jesus, my being filled with his Holy Spirit? What do I do? And how's that going? Um, and for most of us, we would be loath to say that it's going really, really well. We, we fight to keep those disciplines going, right? I mean, when we hear that Jesus spent all night praying, think, oh my goodness, what, what would you do if you were praying all night long? But what are the ways that we grow our up with God? Um, what, what's your practice? I mean, are you an early riser to have time in the word before the day starts? Or have you been condemned your whole Christian life long by people who told you you had to be up at five in the morning to read your Bible? When you're a night person, and you say, would it be okay if I read it at one o'clock in the morning before I go to bed? And the morning person looks at you and scorns you and says, well, you're not a very disciplined person, are you? Because it's better to be a morning person, apparently. Somebody made that rule sometime. It's more spiritual to be a morning person. But if the morning gets you going and you can lay out your day before God, fantastic. But there's also something about going to bed at night ready for the next day. And that's actually more of a Jewish idea because Shabbat, Sabbath, starts at sundown, not at sunup. So if anybody is judging you because you're not a morning devotions person, just say, yeah, I, I follow the Jewish tradition. That'll put them in their place real quick, right? It doesn't matter when it is. It's the question of the semicircle and the rhythm. How do you live out of the strength of your relationship with God? Maybe it's, it's reading good books that charges your soul. And you say, that, that's what I do. And, and I find that that refreshes my relationship with God. Maybe it's walking. Maybe you just need to get out from inside four walls and start to walk and just talk or just be quiet and listen to God through nature, meditate on his word, whatever it is. Um, but, but we all have to start somewhere and say, I'm paying attention to the up in my life. Here's what I do. And then we get to the end of our life and we ask, um, who, are the, who are the people that are my tribe or my kin or my family or my community? And how am I doing with that? And while the up of our lives is the thing that often causes us to feel guilty, the in of our lives very often causes us to feel absolutely perplexed because that's where the trouble often is in our lives, right? It's with the people that we're close to that we get trouble. Somebody said, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, twill indeed be glory. To live below with the saints we know, it's another story. Is anybody here in a state of no conflict with anybody near you? If so, I bet you have no friends and family, Because right? it's trouble to be developing our relationships with our kin, with our community around us. And Jesus paid high attention to developing these relationships and developing the people around him. So maybe we might say, boy, you know, I'm really happy to say that I've got some good spiritual disciplines in place on the up, 
but I've got trouble at home, and that's where I'm working this year. I hope that this year, these things are going to change. These relationships are going to get better, whatever it is. And then what's the out? Um, and the out is what causes us very often to want to just say, can I just leave this conversation now? Because we, we feel that we fail all the time at the out, at, at reaching out to people who we don't know yet or who are not followers of Christ yet or who have not been invited to know the kingdom and its dynamics in their lives. And we just say, Gee, I know, I know I'm supposed to be doing that. And I just, I don't, I just quite, don't quite know how to do it. Let, let me tell you that wherever you are, whoever the people are who were just removed from you a step or two, that's where that is to happen. It's, it's the, the, the person of peace that we're going to see um, later on when we get to the complicated shapes. But it's where you look around and you say, boy, that girl, not if you're a guy, right? But that girl in the office, she smiles every time she walks past my desk, right? And you think, well, what's she smiling at me about? And so you say hi when she comes by next time. And then you say, you want a cup of coffee the next time she goes by? It's, it's relationships that are in the ready around us. And we, we take those opportunities and we say, there, I'm, I'm tuning up the out. So maybe for some of us, we need to say, I'm doing pretty well with my spiritual practices, good friendships going, but I'm sort of wanting in developing connections. Maybe there's some organization I need to be part of where I can contribute my abilities or my good, whatever it is. Well, all of those things being kind of clear as to what they mean in living a life of following Jesus, um, let me bring you to one Old Testament verse that I just want to commend to you as a way that you might meditate and focus the sharpening of the three corners of your life to deepen your relationships. So in Micah, and this is, there are many people who cite this as their life verse. It's the verse that's on their wall or above their desk. And it's a powerful verse. It says, O people, he has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Those are the three angles of the triangle, aren't they? On the up, it's humility. Walk humbly with your God. And this week I was just meditating on what that means. Not just walk with your God, but walk humbly with your God. Isn't there just something gentle and, and beautiful about that? That God invites us to walk with him. Now the antithesis of this was the Garden of Eden. Because they walked with God, but not humbly. They walked with God arrogantly, because they were chafing. And when they got what God wanted them to be and do, they simply said no. When he said, we'll get along as long as you don't take the fruit of that tree. Serpent comes walking in because at that point he wasn't a crawler. Beautiful being, spectacular. And he says, really? God said, don't eat of that fruit. Well, you know why. Because when you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll be like God. And Adam and Eve said, hmm, that sounds pretty good. We like being God. So rather than walking humbly with their God, they walk proudly with their God 
until God said, you can't do that. There's not enough glory for me and you. It has to be me, not you. And so the trouble that came after that was, you know, what has carried on all the way down through history to us. See, we, 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 we don't want somebody to be in charge of our lives. We might say we do, but we don't, because inside of us all, there is something that wants to be the most important and in charge and the most beautiful and all of those things. And Micah says, but what God wants is for you to walk humbly with him. Just forget about yourself, forget about your struggles, forget about your ambitions, forget about what she said or he said, and just pipe down, just walk humbly with God. Let him be in charge, let him get the glory, and you'll see how much better that goes. One of the people that has influenced me tremendously in my life, and I'm sure is true of many of you, is Billy Graham. Um, I, I've, I've worked in two um, missions for Billy Graham. I've, I've met him, touched him. You can shake my hand after, because I've shaken Billy Graham's hand. And one day, uh, Cliff Barrows, who was his long, long time music director, he was asked by the media, why do you think Billy Graham has enjoyed such great success? And he said, it's quite simple. In Mr. Graham, God found somebody he could trust. And I, that, isn't, that is just a beautiful compliment to pay to somebody. He didn't find somebody who was going to get glory by these incredible crusades all around the world. He, he didn't use him because he had the ear of the presidents. It was just that God could trust him because he was humble. And the thing that marked Billy Graham and, and still does is, is that humility. The first message I ever heard him preach live in Vancouver, and I was sitting in the front row with all the counselors. It was my job to get everybody counseled when they came down, and we were ready for this. And when he got to the end of the sermon, I looked around, and I said to myself, that's it? That wasn't a very good sermon. It didn't flow very well. Uh, he seemed nervous. Um, and, and I'm just going, this isn't what I was expecting at all. And you know what happened a second later? Thousands of people started coming to the front. Because God wasn't impressed by Billy Graham's rhetoric. He used him because of his humility. And he simply brought the gospel message and said what he said every time, if you're up there in the balcony, the buses will wait. And then he, he just went off backstage and he was done. That humility marks those people who are greatly used and greatly known by God. So the invitation to me and to you as we try to work on the up of our lives is to just get into a state of being humble before God. Which means that you tell him, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how to do that. I'm quite frankly reluctant to do that. I, I need you for, for every single thing in my life. And I will try to listen to you as well as I can, and I'll try to do what you tell me as diligently as I can. I, I will walk humbly before you. I'm not looking for glory. Remember that, that psalm in the, 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 the journey psalms to Jerusalem? I don't try to deal with things that are too great for me. 
I don't, I don't try to be the smartest guy in the room. There were lots of years in my life where I wanted to be and thought I was the smartest guy in the room. And the most important lessons God has ever taught me are lessons of failure and humility. And I'm better when I fail than when I succeed because I end up in a better place. I end up in a place of humility and brokenness. And it's not as though God loves that and wants to put me down. It's like God just knows what we're made of and he knows how ugly the pride of the human spirit can be. So he likes it when we set that aside and say, yeah, sorry, I I, I thought I had that and I didn't. Okay, enough of that. Enough of humility. And we go on to the next thing that Micah tells us about. He says that, um, and, and I think this is on the end, he says, love kindness. So how can I develop my in relationships better this year? Micah says, just be kind. And kindness is a powerful, powerful Hebrew word in, in the word that Micah uses. It's a covenant word. It's a word that means that because we are bound together in covenant, I will always be kind to you. I will always be merciful to you. And that God says, I have promised that to you. I have promised you my covenant loyalty. It's, It's translated in the Old Testament into mercy, pity, loving kindness, kindness, love, a whole litany of terms that say because God made a covenant with us, because we are his covenant friends, we can always count on him to be kind to us. How would it be if you knew that every encounter you had with the people who are near you would be an encounter of kindness? How would it be if you knew that every word your husband ever said to you would be kind? Every word your wife ever said to you would be kind? Every word your parents ever said to you would be kind, and you could count on it. You could count on it being 10 out of 10 times. What a freeing place that would be. So Micah says, as far as you're concerned, with the people that you're in a covenant relationship with, however you describe that, however that covenant is shaped, is it family, is it friends, is it mates at school, is it um, your, 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 your friends at work, whatever that in community is, let it be your goal to never behave anything other than in a kind way to them. No matter what goes on, no matter what has happened, no matter what they have done, you be kind. You don't take revenge, you don't express hatred. Whatever they are doing is their business and ultimately their business with God. But as far as you're concerned, be kind. Just be kind. See, these aren't high, you know, intellect sorts of things that we're pursuing. God says, as far as your relationship with me is concerned, just be humble, please. In terms of your relationships with other people, be kind. And then on the out, Micah says, here's what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Our out has many facets, has many components, but in Micah, He says, let justice roll down like a river in the the rest of the minor prophets. Be kind to those who are your people and to those who are not. Work for justice. 
if I'm trying to figure out how I can get the out of my life working this year, a good place to start would be to ask, where is there injustice in our world? And what could I do about that? In huge ways, um, we look at the, the issue of uh, human trafficking and say, boy, you don't have to look farther than that to find an area of incredible, great injustice. What could you do? And so the Mahi Mahom we've become familiar with in Smita and these little girls who were trafficked into prostitution in the darkness of Calcutta. Um, and you say, boy, if I can't think of anything else, I'm going to peel a $20 bill out of my wallet every Saturday and send that. I, there, I have to do something about justice in the world. There are many other more subtle forms of injustice. But Micah says, you know, whatever else is involved in your mission, whatever else is involved in your out, if you ever see anything that is a, just an evidence of injustice, do justice. Seek justice. Go after what's right. When something is wrong, put your hand up and say, that's wrong. And if you do that, you will be sharpening the right corner of your triangle and you'll be deepening your relationships in a way that pleases God. What does God require? Three things. It's about the up, the in, and the out. God requires that we are people who walk humbly with him. He requires that we do justice and that we love kindness as we grow on and into um, our relationship with God. What's 2018 going to be like for you? Where's the, the work that has to be done on the up, or the in, or the out? If we look at where the kingdom of God invades on the circle, put the triangle there and say, how's the kingdom arriving in my worship? How's the kingdom arriving in my fellowship? How's the kingdom arriving in my mission? As you look at the semicircle, you say, when I'm abiding, what's the stuff of my abiding? What's the stuff of my resting? What's the stuff of my studying? What's the stuff of my retreating? What's it about when I think of the up and the in and the out? So that I can swing out of that into living a fruitful life for the, the glory of God. God says, you want to know how to have a good triangle going? Just look at Micah for this year, if nothing else. Look at Jesus. See what he did. What did a day look like? What did a week look like? What did it look like in his relationship with God? What did he do with his friends? And he did lots of good, fun things with his friends, right? So part of this is absolute joy. It's a joy to, to know and walk with God, but it's a joy to hang out with people that are your good friends, right? So that's a wonderful thing. And when you know you're on the right side of justice, there's something that lets you sleep at night and say, I think that was something that God cares about. How's your triangle? How about we pray? Father, we thank you for so much instruction in the scriptures about how we live our, our personal lives, our family lives, our community lives, and our, our lives as citizens of this world. Give us creative thoughts and uh, designs for ourselves, for us as a church community in this year, so that these relationships in all of these directions 
will become more and more healthy and more and more pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I just want to draw your attention back to our 10,000 reasons wall over here and our prayers for our future wall over here. And um, for any of you who are just joining us this week and haven't heard about this, I'll just give you a real quick blurb about what this is all about. So we've taken the lyric from one of our favorite songs here, 10,000 Reasons, uh, For My Heart to Find. And that comes from Psalm 103 that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And we want to take this opportunity as we're kind of a church in transition, getting ready to move this building and kind of open a new chapter down on Main Street very soon. We just want to position our hearts and minds just to, and, and to commemorate the uh, beautiful history that God has given us within this congregation thus far. So what we're doing is we're taking these little cards that you'll see on the tables and we're writing as many memories and as many testimonies of God's faithfulness to us as we can. So if you've already written a few... I know you have more in there somewhere. And even for me, as the weeks have gone by, more and more comes to me at home. So I have a little paper. I've been jotting them down. So I hope you'll do the same. And as many as you can, because really it is truly important to share with one another what God has done. And sometimes we kind of keep those things um, in secret or we don't think to share them. But when we do... um, It's just so important to know what God is doing in the midst of us, isn't it? And already I think it's been a blessing um, speaking with people and reading the testimonies of God's faithfulness already. So please continue to do that. You are welcome at any time to keep pinning things up there whenever you're in the church building and before and after services. But this morning I want to draw your attention more to prayers for our future. A couple have contributed, but... um, We're going to sing a song here to end off the service called Consuming Fire. And it's a really, um, to me, it's a prayer song. It's something that we're asking God. Um, Oh, God, breath of God, come breathe within. And there must be more than just this. We know that the spirit of God is waiting to fill us anew as we pray, right? So, um, just giving you a couple of ideas of what you might want to pin over on the prayers for our future. I know a lot of you are praying in your own uh, devotional time at home or wherever you're at, praying for the future of this church, praying for um, all of the changes that are happening. Um, and if, if you have anything that you would like to share, please write them down and please post them on the wall so that we can all be um, bringing those things to mind when we're praying. Um, so what is it that you're praying for? for this church on Main Street, and what maybe what should we be praying for together? Or um, in light of what we heard this morning, the up, the in, and the out, maybe we could think of it in these terms. What do I personally um, need to do to prepare myself for our move in the future? What, what do I have to give? Maybe these are the kinds of questions we can be asking God in prayer. Um, what what um, thinking of the out um, 
you know, even things like, Lord, if we, if we don't already have a dream in mind for our future as a, as a community, maybe that, that's a thing we need to ask God. Lord, give us dreams. Give us visions. Give us uh, a word from you as to uh, what maybe a new ministry looks like or reaching out to new folks or maybe even praying for those new folks that may join us in the coming years. Um, and, of course, praying towards God in our relationship with him. Lord, we want more of you. Uh, what specifically do you want more of? What are you looking for that God can give us in our, in our very near future? So all of these things, as things come to mind, please write them down. Even as we're singing our song, write them down. Please feel free to stand up. Go on over. Um, Rob's put some tacks over here on the little white table for us. So uh, please feel free to continue to contribute. Um, Sorry, another idea I had was even just praying the Lord's Prayer. Is there a part of the Lord's Prayer that we can be praying for our future as a church? Uh, one line or two lines of the Lord's Prayer that you want to write down. And finally, let's fill up the wall with Scripture. Scripture that we can pray for our future. And promises that God has already fulfilled in Christ, right? But that we need to, um, we need to ask for. So... Let's, uh, now as we pray, uh, pray this song together as we sing, let's, let's just be asking God and just ask his spirit to, uh, to speak to our hearts. And let's, uh, let's pray together and let's uh, post those things that we're praying for our future. Okay. <clears throat> be more than this oh breath of God come breathe within there must be more than this spirit of God we wait for you fill us anew we pray fill us anew we pray with power from on high now set the captives free leave us abandoned to your praise lord let your glory fall lord let your glory fall lord let your glory Consuming fire, fan into flame. 
please stand? And if you have something to contribute to the walls, please feel free to do that now as we sing through the song one more time. There must be more than this. There must be more than this. The breath of God come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Fill us anew, we pray. Fill us anew. wind come like a rushing wind clothe us with power from on high now set the captives free leave us abandoned to your praise Lord let your glory fall Lord your glory fall. Lord, let your glory fall. Consuming fire, fan into flame. Passion for your Let's sing together. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. A passion for your name. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts. Passion for your name. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it Lord, stir it up in our hearts, a passion for your name. Stir it up, stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, a passion for your name. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up.
church with today. Um, what's the difference between Netflix and the kingdom of God? So a lot of us have become serial uh, series watchers, right? And the worst thing is when you go for more episodes, well, there aren't any. There are always more episodes in the kingdom of God. There are always more seasons. That triangle has no limit. A relationship with God never ends with, now we've done it. With one another, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, more and more and more episodes. We get one thing done on the out, there are more and more and more and more. So it's like the language of the Bible is the Old Testament, the prophecy about going into a river and it's up to your ankles, up to your knees, up to your waist, waters deep enough to swim in. Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life, not just ordinary life or a bit of life. And he said, the things that I've done, you're going to do and greater things than those. The, the Bible is expansive. It is, it is abundant. It is the rushing wind of the Spirit. So the episodes are never over. And God has as big a triangle for you as you can possibly grasp this year and the next just keep it in proportion. What's the up, what's the in, what's the out? So as we go, go to the walls, one or the other. Uh, leave a record of your gratitude to God or your hope for the future. And uh, let's move into the week. God bless.
Thank you.